When we think of the life of Jesus in the scriptures, there are two sort of sections of his life that we think of pretty easily. There is the infancy stuff, all of the beginning things, you know, even before he is conceived in the womb of Mary. So uh, the little intro parts, her, him being conceived by the Holy Spirit, Mary visiting Elizabeth, um, you know, all the things that happen with, with Elizabeth and Zachariah, uh, Joseph's dreams in various directions from the angels, all of that sort of stuff. You know, up to including uh, the shepherds and the fields and the angels and the magi and all of that sort of stuff. We know quite a bit about that. And then there is the section of Jesus' adult life, his ministry, after he turns 30 years old, approximately, and begins uh, you know, picking out his, his uh, disciples, picking out his apostles and things like that. However, comma, that leaves a little bit of a middle section where we don't know hardly anything except for a little blip of the presentation in the temple, or of the um, the finding of the child Jesus in the temple, it's kind of left to our imagination between Jesus being born and uh, presented in the temple and you know, presumably about 30 years old when he begins his ministry. So there was something that was happening there. And it's, it's a section we might call the School of, Na- the school of Nazareth. Um, you know, Jesus' time at home with his family between the very beginning of his life and the beginning of his ministry, which was, again, a significant portion of time. So what do we do with that? I want to begin pondering that by asking what might seem like a strange question, maybe even irreverent slightly. Was Mary a good cook? I don't know. We don't have anything in Scripture talking about the, the quality of bread that she made or whether she made a fantastic casserole for family events. I don't know, but I want to suggest that she doesn't have to have been a good cook. Sometimes we think that, uh, thinking of the Holy Family specifically, uh, that Jesus and Mary, of course, Joseph, poor guy, the only one who has sins in the house, um, must have been, well, no, rather, they were morally perfect. But what does that mean about the normal living of life? Does it mean that Uh, Everything that they did, they were the most excellent person at ever? Not necessarily. It doesn't mean that uh, Mary was the best at all possible things. Uh, Probably she might have been quite average at things, I don't know. Um, And maybe she, certainly she would have had to have learned them anyways. Uh, You know, though she was born without original sin, doesn't mean she would have uh, known how to make a casserole or how to, I don't know what food Mary would have made. Uh, but she w- wouldn't have known how to do household stuff or any stuff just because she was born without sin. She would have had to learn from her mother just like anybody else would, from her father just like anybody else would. Uh, likewise with Jesus, this might even seem trickier. Um, you know, suppose, well, presume that Jesus was taught carpentry uh, by Joseph. So then, like the first time Jesus made like a, like a little birdhouse, was it perfect? I'm going to say it wasn't, because probably not, uh, because Jesus, you know, suppose he's five years old and, uh, you know, trying to work with Joseph and figure things out. He's still a kid. He's not going to have uh, the, the fine motor skills that adults have yet. He's not going to have an understanding of carpentry that, that adults would have yet. So, no, Jesus's first little birdhouse might have been kind of crooked, but that's okay. Uh, it doesn't 
interfere with his divinity. In fact, I think imagining these things helps us understand uh, what it really meant for the Holy Family to be. Uh, it's important for us to remember that Jesus, Jesus and Mary, of course, uh, experienced everything about human life except for sin. And that would include learning things. That would include having to practice and grow in a certain skill. Now, I think we can say safely that they would have improved in that skill very quickly because, you know, being without sin, they wouldn't have been lazy. They would have you know, practiced properly, uh, those sorts of things. But they still would have had to learn. They still had to live life to figure it out. They might have had, especially Jesus, we can say that he would have had intellectual knowledge, but he would have had to learn human experience as well. Uh, refer, I think Paul, St. Paul says later that he had to learn obedience from what he suffered, which is a, a curious thing, but theologically it means that while he would have known intellectually what was going on, of course, being the Son of God and being all-knowing, uh, he would have still gained something by experiencing human life. So, uh, though they were perfect without sin, Mary and Jesus at least, uh, they still... It, God still saw fit for it to be good for them to learn human life. And I think that's that's encouraging for those of us who are not without sin, that uh, when life is messy, when things aren't right, when um, you know we have to work on stuff, it's encouraging to know that even the Holy Family had to go through this. Uh, I think even more specifically, it's it's good for us to see that the Holy Family had family life and needed family life set up in the normal way. Uh, it's, very, it's very telling that uh, though, in a certain sense, Mary and Jesus could have got by without Joseph, like if, if there wouldn't have been Joseph and we would just had the sinless mother of God and her son who is God himself and there was no father figure in the house, we would thought, hey, well, that kind of makes sense because why would they need that? Uh, yet, despite that, despite that, you might say, possibility, God decided that it would be good for them to have St. Joseph. That, for some reason, it was very necessary for the Holy Family well, to be the Holy Family. We could say that for in God's plan, as he understood it, it was good for the sinless virgin to still need a husband's hand to hold when going for a walk, and an extra hand around the house to do chores maybe when a diaper needed changing. And the Son of God and God himself... He needed a father figure to teach him how to master a trade and how to be a man. So strange as it may seem at first, uh, the Lord seems to have shown us with this time in Nazareth that even though two-thirds of the Holy Family was perfect and without sin and one of them was divine, they still had to learn and experience the growth and trials of family life just like everybody else. So we're, we're, we kind of have this mystery that God himself chooses to need a family. And that's very comforting. I think it should be comforting for us, those of us who are striving for holiness, which of course we all should be, that family life is so important to God because family life is the primary way, the primary means of holiness. Or it is the means of holiness for most people. You know, Some people are called uh, to priesthood, religious life, other forms of consecrated life, and there is certainly family in that. Um, but most people are called to family life in the normal way. Marriage, children, etc. 
And it is good to see that the Lord engaged in that so that it sanctifies family life, that that can be a path to holiness. But again, it's not um, only sort of the natural biological family. Uh, You know, my brother priests and I, we speak of, again, being brother priests and the bishop as our father. Uh, You know, a women religious community, they they speak of being sisters with a mother superior and they have, again, sort of the bishop as their father. And so there's this family structure, even throughout, even outside of, strictly speaking, natural family. Of course, as Christians, all of us have God as our father and Mary as our mother. So whatever vocation we are in, we still have that family structure to work with. Um, We are all called to imitate this school of Nazareth, where Jesus especially grew up in amongst the Holy Family. So what what makes this Holy Family, which if we are to imitate, what are the attributes a Holy Family should have? Well, it needs a courageous, righteous father who is strong in the faith and obedient to God's will, willing to bear heavy burdens for his family, as we see that St. Joseph was in the gospel today. And that's true even if you're thinking of the religious thing where uh, the bishop is the father. You still you want your bishop to be a righteous, courageous father, strong in faith and obedient to God's will, willing to bear heavy burdens for his family. So that still makes sense. Uh, a mother of a holy family should be pure and holy, always ready with tender love for her children, even if it means accepting that a sword will pierce her heart for what may happen to her children. I think it's obvious that that kind of analogy Uh, works well for religious life, for example, also. And then, of course, uh, to be like Christ, the third member of the Holy Family. As Christians, we are all called to be like Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Therefore, also, we are sons and daughters of Mary and sons and daughters of God our Father. But it's important, uh, you know, we understand that part, but also to ask, what does that look like? You know, on the ground, I think I'm thinking especially of natural family, uh, you know, biological family, but it does still apply to other contexts as well. What can we learn from the holy family? One thing I think is silence. So we said earlier that we have this sort of gap of any description between Jesus' very early days and his ministry. So there's a silence in scripture there. So we can infer from that that uh, silence is important. Think of this, or ask this question of yourselves. How often is your family life noisy and chaotic with a thousand distractions and so many things happening and noise and noise and noise? How often do you just have silence and spend time together resting peacefully with each other? Family life is noisy, I get that. You know, to have just a quiet house is not not a reasonable expectation. But to have no added noise, at least, to have just your time together. How rare is that, yet how important it is. How about safety? Safety is thing that is a thing that parents provide for their family. And we're pretty good at the, at the physical part. Uh, you know, seat belts, vaccinations, those sorts of stuff. What about spiritual and, and uh, you know, moral safety? Uh, one thing that's, that's greatly, re- greatly concerning is the danger that kids face with, with the internet. Uh, I will tell you plainly that uh, it is dangerous for your kids to have a smartphone without controls on it. Do not leave them open to uh, predators and all sorts of pictures and videos on the internet that 
You may not think they will look at them, and hopefully they won't on purpose, but don't give them that very dangerous thing. I've heard firsthand of you know fourth, fifth, sixth graders seeing and watching things online that they absolutely should not be seeing. So please, uh, to help your children be part of a holy family, keep them safe online. Do not be naive to the dangers of that. Education. Parents, you are the first teachers of your children. Yes, the church is happy to help with RE classes and things like that, but they live with you, they watch you, they learn from you, for good or for for bad. So make sure it's good. Your children are going to live the life that you set an example for. So know that you are the first teachers. You know, take that seriously. You know, buy the books, do the things, but know that everything you do there are watching and learning from you. And it's a way to pay forward for the future, because I'll tell you what happens to me, uh, sadly, frequently, is that usually a mother will come to me and say, uh, you know, lament how her children are not going to church anymore, or how something, some bad thing is happening in her family, and wanting father to step in and fix the situation. And, you know, if, if father, if you just talked to him, you'd fix everything. No, it doesn't work that way. Unfortunately, and this is just something I learned from experience, uh, by the time a child gets to you know, 16, 17, 18, 20 years old, if they don't have that life of faith already, then you're not going to change anything right then. Um, you know, If they didn't grow up going to Mass every Sunday, taking their, you know, loving Jesus, taking their faith seriously, and seeing their parents do the same, if suddenly they begin to walk away and... You know, don't think church is important anymore. We might ask, well, did they see that it was important when they were growing up? Did they learn the faith? Did they learn to love the Lord? Well, I mean, maybe not. And so we can't fix that at the last minute. I mean, there's the grace of God. There's always the chance for uh, you know, reconversion and, and those sorts of things. Um, but parents, I, encourage, I strongly challenge you to take your role as an educator seriously and don't wait until it becomes desperate to try and do something about it. And then obviously prayer. There are many, many ways to pray. Uh, many chances to you know, read scripture before bedtime. Read some spiritual books. Teach them about the saints. Pray the rosary together. Of course, go to mass together every Sunday. So many, many options uh, for prayer in the home. Uh, this Christmas season is so full of good things. We've had the feast days of St. Stephen, St. John the Evangelist, the Holy Innocents, Thomas Becket, a martyr coming up tomorrow if it weren't Sunday. All these wonderful things. There's the, the beauty of Advent. Did you have an Advent calendar in your house? Did you um, hold off on Christmas decorations or, or some other way, in some way, make it clear that Christmas is not here yet, before Christmas Day, and then keep Christmas going? I mean, if you threw your tree out tomorrow or yesterday or threw it out already, then that teaches your kids that Christmas is just one day to be discarded. Well, that's not a very good lesson. So, you know, live the faith in the home. Uh, have holy images around. Have your house blessed. Have your family place be a holy place. You know, we need to surround ourselves with the actions of the faith, with the images of the faith, with the faith. So that then uh, our families will, at least with the grace of God, live out that holy faith and be holy families. You know, it's, it's somewhat hypocritical to uh, complain about all oh, the world's going wrong, but then not fix our own families first. You know, address our own problems 
and work on being holy families ourselves first. You know, we should be the best Mary and Joseph and Jesus that we can be. You know, of course, we're going to fall short. And I know I've talked lots of ideals, lots of families, uh, you know, divorces and difficulties and you know, addictions or, you know, children away from the faith. And I'm, I'm not preaching this to heap guilt or shame upon any of that. But it's important for us to have an ideal, to know what we're looking forward to. Um, I'd be happy to talk with anybody and kind of do sort of a spiritual counseling in a way of how to work with family who has fallen away or things like that. Um, but it's important for us to have this ideal of the Holy Family. Because the world needs holy, Catholic, holy, truly, authentically Catholic families. And we have to start that in our own homes, in our own families, our own little homes at Nazareth. And when we do that, when we seek after it, though we will fall short, uh, when we seek the Lord and invite him into our, our own homes to help us be holy families, then he will willingly, joyfully, glad, gladly come and dwell with us, just as he came to dwell in the home of Mary and Joseph.